BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. My name is Mark Ellis. This is the podcast where we take a movie, a TV show, possibly a whole franchise, and ask the simple question, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong? How about that tomato meter score? And the movie we're talking about today is part of a larger franchise, which does have another entry, albeit a prequel, hitting theaters later on this summer. June 9th is when Transformers Rise of the Beasts is in theaters nationwide. And today... We're talking about Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Why Revenge of the Fallen in particular in that 20% tomato meter? And we'll get into that right after I introduce our two very special guests, including my co-host today. She is a writer, director, actor, a jack of all trades, an extraordinary human being, and maybe a Transformers fan? We'll find out. Danny Fernandez is back joining us. Yes, I am here. Again. Heavily re- yes, I feel felt more represented on our horror episode, <laughs> I will have to say. I don't know if I have as strong uh, ties to Transformers, but we'll get into it. Yeah, well, you know, uh, my, my lovely co-host, Jacqueline Coley, who's amazing at all things, is uh, currently out of the country, I believe, covering movies. She might be at the Cannes Film Festival or preparing to go to Cannes. And so I wanted somebody that knew how to, that knows me pretty well and also knows how to talk about the Transformers movies and not necessarily celebrate or denigrate them, just talk about them as they are because That's you me. were kind of coming <laughs> into your own as this film franchise from Michael Are Bay you saying was I was watched. hitting puberty when this came out? <laughs> I, you know, for, for a be, lot of you people. You were blossoming as a woman. You were becoming uh, an adult <laughs> okay. as these movies hit. Uh, somebody who maybe already was in adulthood like I was when the Michael Bay Transformers <laughs> movies came out, but probably grew up playing with Transformers as I did the toys in the 80s. He is a podcaster, writer, another jack of all trades. We love him here. Uh, the co-host of Fat Man Beyond with Kevin Smith. It is Mark Bernardin. Making your first appearance on the show. I know, I know. That my rookie card is really worth <laughs> something, I feel, at the end of this. The rated rookie, Mark Bernardin. Uh, <laughs> did you grow up playing with the Transformers toys? I did. I loved them. They were bad toys. Like, they barely ever formed the thing they were transforming into. <laughs> it's like, it's a jet with an arm sticking out of it because it never really folded right. Um, but I, I watched the cartoons a lot. I loved the, mm-hmm. for the Transformers, the movie, the animated film. 1986, baby. Uh, you got the touch. You got the, you got the power. <laughs> did you have the comics? I uh, I did collect. Marvel had the comics for a stretch. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. they were like, fine, I think. Bill Sienkiewicz did some of the covers, which were glorious. But I uh, I am a gentle Transformers fan. I'm not a deep fan, but okay. I, get, I, I, I skitch on the surface. Of the Transformers fandom. Yeah, I mean, the, the toys were great. And I remember they were more marketed towards the boys, I think. But my sister was big into the Transformers, too. She wasn't, like, big into G.I. Joe unless they were going to make out with her yep. Barbies, yep. which was not yep. a fair fight because Barbie was towering over my G.I. Joes. But the Transformers could play ball. Short King. A short King. <laughs> you know, I've dated some of them, so... 
Hats off. Yeah. Uh, no names on this podcast, but we will mention that once again, Rise of the Beast is coming into theaters and Transformers. I mean, look, you can say what you want about the live action movies that began back in 2007. Uh, they make billions and billions and billions of dollars worldwide. So Revenge of the Fallen hit theaters in 2009, and that's the particular film that we're going to focus on today. We can talk about how we feel about the franchise as a whole. Maybe is it headed in the right direction now? Do we get things turned around with Bumblebee and it's 91% on the tomato meter? I will highlight that we have all Michael Bay movies ranked by tomato meter, courtesy of Alex Vo. You can check that out on RottenTomatoes.com right now. His number one movie, according to the tomato meter, is shockingly and sadly not The Rock, Arguably the best action movie of the 90s. That is 67%. Ambulance, the recent film with Jake Gyllenhaal, is 68%. So that is number one. The first time a Transformers movie appears on this list would be the first Transformers movie from mm. 2007. According, That's the Michael Bay movie, and that is 58% now. So Revenge of the Fallen way, way down at 13, 20%. On the tomato meter. I'm going to try to give a synopsis of this movie unless either one of y'all want to take a stab at it. Danny, you up for the mission? Oh, Mark Bernardin. <laughs> I, feel- <laughs> uh, I feel like this movie was about blowing up Egypt. Um, and we the- did eventually get to Egypt. We did eventually get to Egypt. And we kind of, like, listen. There's barely a plot to this movie. Like, Sam Witwicky, played by Shia LaBeouf, is going to college. Yeah. Right? And he's having a long-distance relationship with Michaela played by Megan Fox. I'm astonished I got these names right. You're nailing this I'm, so far. I'm killing it. And so he goes off to school, but before he leaves, you know, Transformers blow up his house because they do that every movie. <laughs> Those but he dang find, Decepticons. He finds this sliver from an Energon cube or the the Matrix of li- whatever. The AllSpark. There it is, the AllSpark. That uh, somehow imprints, like, weird hallucinations, beautiful mind style inside his brain <laughs> of, like, uh, ancient Autobot writing. Maybe mm-hmm. yeah. from as far back as seventeen thousand BC, right? When they might have first hit Earth. Yes, okay. and of course they also built the pyramids because you mm-hmm. can't let black people have anything. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so the the Decepticons are trying to find him because there's the Fallen, who was the the first dude. Revenge of the Fallen is one guy voiced by Tony Todd. I think who lives in like Saturn. Right, maybe. right. So, sort of like the Palpatine to Megatron's Darth Vader. Very maybe? much okay. so. Right, okay. because Megatron was the big baddie in the yeah. first one. Yeah. And we thought we got him, but you never really get him. Yeah, never got him. They buried him in the ocean, kind of. And yeah. so apparently you can bring anything back. It's science fiction. So He's sort of does. the Michael Myers of this of this Very world. Very much so. <laughs> and so ultimately everything begins to drive towards uh, the, the great pyramids in Giza because they found a way to harvest Energon from the sun, which would kill everybody on Earth. Mm-hmm. And so Sam is trying to get there with Mikhail is trying to get there and Optimus Prime gets killed. It's not bad. Uh, spoilers <sighs> for a God, whatever 15-year-old movie this is. The 1986 Transformers all over again. Yes, Optimus one, eating it. One shall stand, one shall fall. Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But yeah, so Optimus is dead. He gets lugged around like, you know, but so much spare junk for most of this movie until <laughs> they bust up some, like, ancient artifacts mm-hmm. and, and old installations in, like, mm-hmm. Petra, it felt like, maybe. As know. you do. As you do. And, uh, and they find the Matrix of Leadership that can apparently resurrect any friggin' Transformer who's dead, and they resurrect Optimus Prime, who then gets wings, because sure, and uh, and then there's, like, big fight, and all, uh, and there are, there are Transformer testicles. 
Uh, did I miss that? You missed this. Oh, no. Where, where they also rope in um, John Turturro, who was manning a butcher shop in Brooklyn? Yes. Yeah, he was maybe? running a deli because he was an agent in the first one, and he kind of went a little wacky with the theories, even though he may have been right. It, been not, right. not right enough for the government, or maybe he was too correct, and so he got uh, run out of town to a deli in Brooklyn. Yes. Uh, until he then gets roped in because he's also a massive computer hacker dude. And so the whole team then goes to the Middle East somehow uh, and, and North Africa, and there's a fight for like 50 minutes at the end of this movie. <laughs> Mark Bernardin. Yes. I did it. Also, did. Tyrese is in it, and mm-hmm. Josh Dumel. Tyrese, Josh Dumel. For reasons that defy explanation. Sam's college roommates are also a team of hackers. Like, like yes. there's a lot right. going on in this movie. Played by Will Trent in, in yes. college. Ramon Rodriguez. Yeah, that's him. That's Will Trent. Yes. I look so familiar <laughs> wa- rewatching so it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow, okay. He, he's very, he's very like Adrian Grenier circa uh, mm-hmm. um, entourage. And he did have his own Who, little entourage. That girl, Isabel, what, the model, mm-hmm. clearly the Victoria's Secret model that came on to Shia LaBeouf, yeah. was dating Adrian at the time of this. <gasps> what? Yeah. Man. So there you go. Good tea. It all comes together. Yeah, it all comes together. And so now, as the show presents, I have to ask you all this very important question. Yes. Now that we got that uh, stunning synopsis from Mark Bernard and with a couple of assists from Danny Fernandez, it's 20% on the tomato meter. The audience score is a little brighter. It's fresh adjacent at 57%. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Transformers Revenge of the Fallen? Danny, I'm going to go to you first. I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because I think that it deserves a little more credit than twenty percent because of how much the mainstream audience loved it. And I saw I want to say I saw this when I was in Texas. Mm-hmm. We'll get into why it's wrong, but uh, you were at university around this time. Yeah, I think I had just graduated, and all I can say is it's so funny watching big hit films there because it's just like I'm in a massive packed theater at Stonebriar Mall in Frisco, Texas, um, who loved these. And then I forget. It's the same thing with Batman and Robin, which I loved and adored. And then you get out into Hollywood, L.A. <laughs> you and see you other see, movies. And, and no, the, you just see how other people perceive right, these right. big blockbusters that I thought were just fun. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so your perspective has shifted uh, a little bit. And so, but you're still going to say that maybe Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, you get that 20%, maybe bump it up to... 25-30% is where you think a fair landing spot on the tomato meter is for I this. think, like, if you melded the two of them. That's the audience score yes. and the tomato meter. Uh-huh. Okay, so we'll get it to, like, a nice robust 40 percentile kind of thing. Uh, Mark Bernardin, how do you feel the tomato meter, 20%, too high, too low, just right? I, I feel like it's wrong, um, and I feel like it's too high. <laughs> I... Yeah, like, and listen, I I was I was not in college when this movie came out. I was I was a, a post college person living a life, <laughs> um, and I remember going to the movies and being like, "All right, well, it's doing things. Certainly, mm-hmm. stuff sure. is happening. Lots of stuff happens. Um, everything that could explode does explode." But like watching it again, this it's a rough sit, man. 
It's <laughs> it, it's a it's not a movie you can really take in one sitting. Here's the problem with this movie. I actually think the tomato meter is dead on. I think 20% is perfect for this movie because there are some redeeming values I could find in here, but not nearly enough to get it anywhere close to fresh. So I might bump it up like to 21 or 22% to <laughs> split hairs, but I can't get it higher than that because it's a movie you can't really do in one sitting. There's so much to it, and it's so damn long. The problem is if you watch like a miniseries, which is how I like to watch a lot of longer movies, you watch 45 minutes of this, and then you pick it up the next night, you have no idea what just happened. You can't remember how you, like, how did we get in the Middle East? How did we get to college? There's so much that's happening at all times. It's really tough to keep track of. So in one perspective, it is fun to watch a movie with a bunch of explosions and robots and shove popcorn in your face. But even this one, it's nowhere near the best of what the Transformers could have been. And I also think that the, the audience score is way too high for me because mm. I feel like growing up with Transformers and knowing the potential of this franchise, it's just it, it could have been a nice comeback pitch for the missteps of the first Transformers. And instead, it just went way further, further into that sort of maudlin Michael Bay, his sense of humor, his eye for action, his penchant for sexualization. It just went so far further than that first Transformers movie. And I just can't go more than 20 percent. So we're going to get into all of our feelings about Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, as well as the movie that preceded it, and maybe was that the good ramp-up for it that it deserved. But first, we go to our buddy Tim Ryan. He's our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes, and he's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of this release when we were all so young, back in 2009, for Revenge of the Fallen, Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. There's no way around it. The Transformers series is a cash cow and a critical punching bag. Aside from the certified fresh spin-off Bumblebee, none of the live-action Transformers films have ever cracked fresh status, though the first film, Transformers from 2007, is at 58% on the tomato meter. We covered that one in a previous episode from February of 2022. The basic complaints about the subsequent entries, including Revenge of the Fallen from 2009, are that these movies are very loud. Two and a half hours of clanging metal and explosions blasting character and plot to the side of the frame. Revenge of the Fallen is rotten at 20% on the tomato meter with 250 reviews, and it has a 57% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Mary F. Poles of Time Magazine wrote, The movie is like the play date from hell, the kind where a crew of children reduce your home to rubble and conduct endless bouts of loud war on the living room floor while you ponder the propriety of opening a bottle of wine. However, in a fresh review, Amy Biancoli of the Houston Chronicle called Revenge of the Fallen a well-oiled, loudly revving summer action vehicle that does all that's required and then some. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is a noisy, underplotted, and overlong special effects extravaganza that lacks a human touch. So that's Revenge of the Fallen. Let's kick it back to Mark. After all is said and done, he never walked, he's never run, he's a winner. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. That was uh, great. And I love Mary's review from Time Magazine about how it's the play date from hell. That is such a perfect synopsis for how this movie plays out. And shout out to producer Brian, who usually in our show notes, he likes to give a nice like smattering of fresh and rotten reviews. He was really scratching for any sort of fresh <laughs> review he could find. There, there's one review that Brian put in here, and it's from Nikki Bond from Roll Credits, and it's still saying that it's a visually impressive yet utterly mindless piece of popcorn fodder. So, like, even the fresh reviews of this movie are like, uh, we kind of know what this <laughs> like, is. What are you going to do? Ah. You, you kind of know where we're going here. Uh, let's hit the music for a movie talk and get into this. 
All right, so Transformers was kind of always in the ether. It was always in the pop culture and the zeitgeist. As we're growing up, we knew what Transformers were. Robots in disguise, Autobots versus Decepticons. But, Danny, you were saying, like, the 2007 movie comes out, and at the time, you saw it in the theater, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, oh, this is like, we're launching a franchise here. It was such a big deal. I also remember that was a time when, like, everyone in my town had Hummers. I don't know if that was a thing where y'all were, but like in Texas, oh my gosh. I mean, you just, it's all these like trucks and F-150s and like this unnecessary gas guzzler. So that was like a really big deal. (laughs) But these huge films did so well. So this this did really well in, in my town. I just remember it being super popular. Yeah, I I mean, I was already in L.A. by that time, and Hummers were everywhere in L.A. too. Okay. And, and so, like, but, you know, for me, as a man of a certain age, when I went to see the first Transformers movie, it was me and I'm six, seven, eight of my fellow comedian friends, and we all were around the same age, and so we're pumped to see because the the promos for this and still the special effects in these movies I think still holds up they really still well. Look, this still looks good. I was very impressed. Revenge of the Fallen's effects look even better than 2007 Transformers, but mm-hmm. we're there in the theater at the Arclight Cinemarama Dome opening night to see Transformers because this is our childhood. This is everything, you know. And the movie, I think the first Transformers movie falls apart because there's too much humanity in it uh, trying to like distract us from the robots and there's so many different levels of comic relief that I thought were unnecessary like I love the actor but when John Turturro shows up as the agent in the first movie he's just another wacky sidekick and I'm like this guys we got to get on track here we got to get serious this is Transformers we're talking about so I thought it, it would just try to be too funny in the first one so Revenge of the Fallen's coming out Mark and I'm like Oh, okay, now this is going to be our Empire Strikes Back. This is going to be all serious. No jokes. We're just going to get a bunch of great robot action. So were you optimistic about this movie based on the first one? Uh, I I liked I liked what the first one was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like the first movie wants to be a movie about a boy in his car. It wants to be, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a, a kind of movie that America tends to make quite a lot. The romanticization of the liberty, the freedom of having a, a ride. And it's why Bumblebee works so well. Totally. It's your car. You can go anywhere <laughs> and do anything. Now your car also happens to be your bodyguard, which is another kind of movie that Americans tend to like. And so when it was that, the first movie kind of works. It's not supposed to be funny, and that's the problem, is that like Michael Bay is not a funny filmmaker. Right. And so when he tries to do funny, it's not funny. It's kind of cringy. And this movie, like... Once you lose the boy in his car story and it becomes boy goes to college, then it's like the worst impulses of like real genius meets <laughs> like, you know, one crazy summer meets like, you know, back to school. Like it's it's all of the worst versions of that. And like it's I do sort of feel to your point, like these are these are like Godzilla movies for me in that I don't need that much humanity in it like because mm. I came to see giant cars I want to see more Godzilla I don't want to see the people running around while Godzilla did, does cool stuff in the background and so the more we get the oh hey this is cool tell me about Optimus Prime's backstory oh that's cool tell me about you know Megatron's backstory tell me these like these are the heroes of this this franchise and I know nothing about them so it's like hey tell me more but the more they keep telling me it's not particularly good or or even uh, linear or uh, like it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And th- there's a number of reasons for it that we'll get into, not the least of which was the 2007, 2008 
WGA strike. And we're going through another writer strike now, as I see both of y'all on the picket line just about every day supporting the worthy cause. Uh, Molly the Wonder Dog has been out to uh, the picket line a couple times, too. So the the, the whole family showing solidarity. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, you look at a movie like this, and there were a couple other, like, big kind of franchise tent poles that were coming out around the same time. Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There was uh, Terminator Salvation, Wolverine, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, however Mm -hmm. you word that title properly. Those were all sort of affected by the writer's strike. But Revenge of the Fallen had this this treatment that the three writers had to really like whip up in like two weeks. And then they handed it to Michael Bay the night before the strike began. And so then Michael Bay sort of expanded it into this 60-pager that is nowhere near long enough for a two-plus-hour movie. And so they're really working. And, for you know, in the one regard, you can look at Michael Bay, and he was quoted as saying, like, you know, I also knew that I had a humongous crew that's relying on me for jobs and you don't know how long the strike's going to go so there could be a little sympathy there but you can also look at, at the writers and say okay this is why you need writers look at revenge of the fallen as the example why you need writers and how important writers are to crafting entertainment in hollywood I kind of am curious, though, if he then moved them to Egypt. He's like, they're not picketing out here. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you all Ferraris and millions of dollars to scab for just a little bit. I mean, I, like, yes, 100%. Like, Danny and I are both union strong, and, and we are both writers, so we understand the importance of writers in that creative process. However, I don't think that Michael Bay was going to make any other movie but this, mm. even if there wasn't a strike. Okay. You know, like, I don't know how much... Three screenwriters could have averted this particular disaster. Because when Michael Bay just wants to blow stuff up, hey, we're going to have a devastator in this. Oh, that's cool. What's it going to (laughs) do? Nothing. All right, man. This is is your movie. Let's put this crew to work. Like, you can try and move that giant ship in one direction Mm -hmm. or another, but it's Michael Bay is going to do what Michael Bay is going to do. And so, like, I don't know if a movie, even with writers, would have been fundamentally different and or better. Well, I'm curious because I know that you said you don't need as much humanity. You want to see these robots fighting. And so they I think that's why he had such a long fight scene in the end. But why didn't it work for you? Um, I mean, I I, I think to, to Mark's point, the fuel air mixture between humanity and robots was a little bit off, given that there was no story for the humanity. There was, right. no, there was no core to it, you know, and so... The Fallen is coming back to destroy Earth to steal Energon. Like, okay. I mean, sure, the emotional content wasn't really there. I mm-hmm. don't know who the Fallen is. I, you know, he doesn't seem to have any real debate or conflict with Optimus Prime, who is right. then my other hero. And then you kill Optimus Prime for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. So then it's, I don't even have a, a, a hero and a villain to, to, to juxtapose. And so, like, those decisions felt so just, let's kill Prime, it'll be cool. As opposed to, but what does it do for the story? Yeah. How does it, if all we're doing is, is robot mashing, then who do I care about if the one person I cared about is dead? Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
And it's mm-hmm. also hard. I mean, as great as the visual effects are, the way that the, the fights are filmed, and this bothered me in Dark of the Moon, the follow-up to this one as well, it's hard to tell who's who. It's hard to tell right. who's an Autobot and who's a Decepticon. And after a while, it, ju- it just looks like you're just throwing a bunch of cool-looking, shiny metal it with various colors into a Vitamix and just turn it all up. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I love explosions. It's coming at me in 3D. I got a mouthful of popcorn. Like, I could get through this, but I have no idea what's happening. And so it's hard to disseminate. It would almost, I liken the action sequences, particularly in this movie and in Dark of the Moon, to if you were watching, if you tuned in to watch the Super Bowl, right? But instead of two teams wearing different uniforms, they all had the same uniform, and they're just running around hitting each other with no structure, no plays, and it almost looked, this looks like rugby, if they're all wearing the same stuff, and I don't know who to root for. And when I say, like, I I could use less humanity in these movies, it's not the emotions that humans feel. It's not, like, the the love or the compassion or the the rage. It's the actual human beings. Because the Autobots and Decepticons, they they can be human beings. They can be proxy humans in this. They can have feelings and stuff. So, like, the beginning of Bumblebee, for example, hooked me so hard because we're having this incredible fight on Cybertron – and there's no humans. It's just, and I can tell who the Autobots are. I can tell who the Decepticons are. It's epic. The beginning of this movie, Danny, I want to ask you first, were you hooked by some of the mythology that they were giving us? Like way back in 17,000 BC, all that stuff I kind of find an intriguing gateway into the events of modern day. It's just that the movie sort of drops the ball from there for me. Yeah, but I thought you were the one that told me that that undid the first movie. I think it kind of does, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because the first movie, it's like, oh, this is the first known contact with humanity when Bumblebee's hanging out with Sam. And then the second movie opens. <laughs> the first thing is like, oh, yeah, by the way, no, we were here on Earth earlier. We, we just, yeah, we, yeah. We, we were running. With and then wait till the, the rise of the beast when it's like, we've been here since like <laughs> we, 58 million we created beasts. Earth. <laughs> I one I can't stop thinking of Mark your Mark Bernardin your um the boy with the car and that it just I keep thinking of it as like the giving tree I don't see Bumblebee as the giving tree I don't know he just keeps giving to Sam and he just keeps taking he, he never does anything for Bumblebee he doesn't never, never like he even gives him a car wash never buffs his yeah. hood like mm-hmm. slowly and gently with the finest cotton chamois he never does anything nice for Bumblebee he, he just hides he him in the garage. Yeah, you constantly take. I will say though, I mean, I agree with you all that like Optimus. We need we need Optimus Prime to be the the majority in this, and and he was gone. I I have my favorite quote that you know I say all the time. Oh yeah, I have never not every single panel I think I've ever been on at Comic Con. <laughs> I've referenced this quote. I didn't realize it was from this film. I thought it was from the first. Do one. you want to do it as Optimus Prime? I'm, I don't know if I can do that, but <laughs> I can say, fate rarely calls upon us. At a moment of our choosing. That's good stuff. It is one of the mm. best quotes in nerd in nerddom. Senior quote stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it's true. Yeah. And 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 you know, I mean, again, you're you you were just graduating college. It's like it, it's it's an inspiring thing to think about your life in the context of, oh, we ha- it's defined by these moments, and am I gonna take advantage of one of them when the opportunity is presented? But with Optimus Prime, 
I think on the bench for the meat of this movie hurts it a little bit. Um, and maybe in terms of keeping track as to who's on whose team, but you also have the introduction of some new transformers that are, uh, to say juvenile or sophomoric, I think it would be putting it too nicely with like mud flap and we and have SpongeBob, this skip- <laughs> Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny? he yeah. played several of these characters. Oh, I did want to shout out Charlie Adler's Starscream. He is my VO coach. He's amazing. Director VO has done so much and he was in this, but I do want to admit that every time Optimus Prime was on screen, I was like, he's so hot. <laughs> I mean, Optimus Prime is. Yeah. Okay. I yes. mean, the decision to retain Peter Cullen's voice is is because Peter Cullen was the voice of Optimus Prime in the cartoon. Yes, he was. And you could have said, "Hey, we're going to get Morgan Freeman for this, right? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get James Earl Jones to play Optimus Prime." There was a hundred bigger voices you mm-hmm. could have gotten, but the decision, like, no, he's got to sound like this. This is what Prime sounds like. So we're gonna stick with this dude. Was a master show. And it still works. And it still works. And he's still doing it because that guy's still around, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've killed so many people in the past but accidentally on oh, podcasts. Oh, man. I was, uh, back in our early Schmoes days, I killed Max von Sydow at least 15 <laughs> years before he actually passed. And I felt so bad about it. And then the guy shows up in stars. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's still alive. Yeah, look at that guy. Yeah. Look, you look great for yeah. dead. Um, but yeah, once, once you got the robots with gold teeth. Mm-hmm. And like the big ears, right. and like the, like, are we doing? Yeah, no, we're doing it. I guess we're just gonna lean right into every stereotype we could ever mm-hmm. imagine. And why? I kept wondering why do they sound like this? <laughs> why is it necessary? Like, yeah, why? Hey, why is it necessary? Because funny, but also, how do they model this behavior? Mm-hmm. Like, right. who taught them to do this? They have serious XM, just like... Yeah, like, Optimus <laughs> is still Optimus. He's just going to be that dude. But suddenly you have these two knucklehead caricatures running around. Mm-hmm. Like, was it just, like, 1930s Hollywood movies that we're watching? <laughs> like, lots of Beat Street and lots of Mantan and Moreland and Step and Fetch It. Like, oh, okay, I suppose this is a choice, Mr. Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, because you feel his fingerprints even more in this movie, I think, because he took some of the writing load as well. Mm-hmm. And and if you say that Optimus Prime is hot in this movie, as sort of like that dad who lives next door, maybe, like like the young hot dad. At He's the like PTA the dad meeting. that would come over with like a hammer and it, like he would fix your door and like unclog your toilet and like okay. all the things. So fix many your metaphors. roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind. I do he think. He changed your oil. But like, I do think that's a whole thing with like when Bowser for the latest mm-hmm. Super Mario movie, everybody was, he went viral. Everybody was like daddy. And I think that Optimus Prime is the ultimate daddy. I think He's that the I, original daddy. Optimus Prime could be the, the OG daddy, but I will say if the, you're go, if the ladies were going and, and they were looking to see Optimus Prime in this movie, uh, there was more eye candy to be had. Because in this film, even more than in the first one, Sam Woodwicky, his dating Megan Fox, he's pretty much dating Cindy Crawford from the Pepsi commercials mm-hmm. in the 90s. Just like the shortest shorts imaginable. I do love how much of a gearhead her character is. I think that's fun. And I like that she knows cars in and out. I think that works for the sort of story that we're trying to give her. But even though, you know, Megan Fox, rough experience on this set, Shia LaBeouf uh, got injured in a car accident halfway through filming, and so they had to, like, improvise his getting a bandage into the movie, which wasn't that hard given all the explosions. (laughs) But, you know, you look at this movie, and I think that, oddly, one of the things that I appreciated the most rewatching it was some of the humor from some of the humans, including uh, Kevin Dunn and Julie White as Sam's parents. 
they made me laugh in this movie. They made me laugh in the first one. I thought they were the great comic relief and everybody else was unnecessary trying to crack jokes. They get more center stage to be the funny people in this. And and just the, the kid going to college and the parents overreacting to it. I thought that worked. I thought that played. That was one of the highlights of Revenge of the Fallen for me. I, I thought it played uh, half as much. Would have yeah. gone twice as far. Mm. You okay, know, yeah. Like, like you didn't need her to need a pot brownie and tackle I, I a student? Didn't, I didn't need her to be just like... <laughs> Like age of Aquariusing all over mystery campus of the Northeast. Like, I love everybody. My son's got a girlfriend. She took his virginity. He's not a virgin. Like, it's just oh my God. a lot of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, you know, she had a pot brownie. She, <laughs> she didn't know any better. That's how everybody reads pot Right. <laughs> Instead of just like passing out. And the scene uh, with uh, with Kevin Dunn talking to him about, uh, like, him just being that dad who's a little beleaguered, complaining about how expensive college tuition is. Do you know the university he's going to, by the way? I couldn't figure it out. Okay. Any guesses? I mean, it looked like it wanted to be Harvard. Okay. But I don't think it was because okay. they never said Harvard. Harvard is the guest logged by Mark Bernardin. Brown. We're looking for Princeton. Princeton? That's Did supposed to be Princeton? Jersey? I don't know if Princeton is canon in Transformers, but it was. I think it was shot at Princeton. Wow. And I don't think Princeton was thrilled about their portrayal in the movie. Because, I mean, like they move into a co-ed dorm, which, by the way, winning the lottery is a freshman already. <laughs> and then because his roommates are all these genius hackers, they hack it to where they basically, like, Mark Zuckerberg college-era Facebook all the beautiful, attractive women into their dorm and it's like, it's just, again, you look at who directed the movie and a lot of signs point to this is all Michael Bay's decision making here. I just love the one scene that Rain Wilson was in. <laughs> it was just popped up. His cameo as the, the not even the sexy professor, but like the nerdy professor that yeah. all the sexy girls. Teaching astronomy. Wanted to sleep mm, with, yeah. which was a right. choice. It's the like, here's Indiana Jones in the same mm -hmm. scene. Yes. And it's like, oh, I get it. I've seen <laughs> young Harrison Ford. I know how that works. Also, he seems like he knows what he's doing because we just saw him steal a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Indiana Jones is a thief. But we saw him steal a bunch <laughs> of stuff from like the middle of nowhere and like bring it back. This belongs in a museum. Or you could have left it there. But never mind. Indiana <laughs> Jones, archaeologist. You the know. Nazis were going after it, Mark. The it's Nazis. Not even. Just a the freelancing German dude. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> Rene Belloc wasn't a Nazi at that point. He's just a dude out to make a buck. Ah, we can't trust him. We can't trust him at all. Anyway, um, I get why every girl in that class was after Indiana Jones. Harrison Ford. I do not understand why, <laughs> A, the reality that that's a freshman astronomy class filled with cheerleaders. Right. You know, yeah. And like... And everybody's like 32 years old. Like, yes. <laughs> there's college age. And as Rain Wilson is like, hey, let me tell you, you guys... I love office visits, and also, this teacher doesn't want apples. He wants <laughs> booty calls. Like, sure, okay, that's a that's not reality at all. No, it it really isn't. And and as this movie plays out, it just becomes a lot of loud noise to me. Like once we get to the pyramids, which should be such an exciting climactic action sequence, it just turned into a bunch of nothing that I couldn't tell what was going on for me. Danny, did you get anything out of the action scenes in this movie? Well, I did want to say actually that John Turturro that they did actually climb those pyramids, and that he started crying when they were filming. And Michael Bay asked why he's crying, and he was like, "These are four thousand years old, and you don't normally get to do this." Which I'm also like, why did they let 
why did they let them get their grubby paws on the the pyramids? Yeah, yeah. But who he, okayed that? Um, money. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, so. But I mean, what a gig though for an can actor. You, imagine? you wouldn't have to pay me. Yeah, but still, I think that's wild that he was like having a moment, and Michael Bay was like, "Yeah, but we got to like shoot these robots and yeah. stuff." <laughs> and then, like ten years later, he would play Ramses. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, I climbed these pyramids. Yeah, Exodus, gods and monsters. I built these pyramids. Yeah, you talk about a selfie opportunity. <laughs> um, I liked the Devastator. I mm-hmm. thought that was cool. I wish it did more. I guess that's yeah. kind of what I'm hearing from y'all too, but. And, and, you know, seeing the look of the phone, I think it's a cool, it was a cool look that it's just like sort of sitting on this throne, this very mechanical looking throne, and you have maybe a power struggle between the Fallen and Megatron. But we all know as Transformers fan, like Megatron is going to be, ultimately he's going to be the one that shows up to mm-hmm. always wreak some sort of havoc. And with this film, it just got so jumbled for me that I couldn't even turn my brain off and enjoy it. Like it, because you start you start to think about the missed opportunity. It's one thing if if this wasn't based on a incredibly successful toy line and had a legion of fans from the day they were born, but it's another thing to look at this and say what could have been. And I think that that's what a lot of fans sort of are left cold by is how great they feel like these movies could have been. Yeah, I mean, none of them, with the exception of Bumblebee, have been great. You know, they've all been varying stages of good. And who um, did Bumblebee again? Um, Travis Knight directed it. Yeah, and the, the yeah, like ahead. Right, right, and, uh, and and Michael Bay is still obviously listed as a producer, executive producer yeah, on it. And Christina Hobson wrote it, mm-hmm. I believe. Right. Um, but again, it's 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 a teenager in their car. Like it's such an elemental story. It's it's mm-hmm. what does it give you as a as a kid? Who is this car? What's that story? Why are we bonded together? And you get all the family comedy. You get the the collision of worlds. And the bigger it gets, ironically, the worse these movies are because they lose whatever spine they were going to have. And it's a great point you make, too, about maybe the writer's strike. Uh, This movie would not have been saved if uh, there was no writer's strike. Because, Danny, you look at Revenge of the Fallen, and as bad as I think it is, I can't say that Dark of the Moon, the third movie, or Age of Extinction, or The Last Night are any better than this. Like, okay, now you you can you can blame a strike. Now what are you going to do? And there's still even, I think, Age of Extinction and The Last Night are probably, according to the tomato meter, they're worse than, toma- <laughs> than Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I can't tell you a single thing about those films. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I barely remember. I'm sure I saw them at some point. But... Do you not care about the Transformers back oh, wow. in time? Because I think it's awesome. I love seeing the Transformers throughout history. 17,000 so, BC. But what is this movie that's coming out? It's a prequel. Okay. So, so when, Rise when, of the when Beast. Is, when is it set? In the 90s? Rise of the Beast yeah. is a, is a oh. sequel to Bumblebee. So I guess late 80s, early 90s. And it's exciting for me because we're picking up from that mythology eventually we're going to have to crash into the witwickies and deal with that but for now it's also directed by stephen capel jr who is a guy i think who just has a ton of potential that he showed directing creed 2 because creed 2 i mean you talk about holdovers from the 80s and bringing nostalgia into it for people who grew up knowing the ivan drago rocky rivalry story to incorporate that into creed 2 in modern day and make it not the cheesiest movie of that year was such a it, it was such a coup it was amazing to see and so i think that he is the right person to be doing a movie like rise of the beasts and the one thing i will give every transformers movie 
they have great trailers. The trailers look awesome. The trailer for Dark of the Moon, I was like, we got it. We fixed it. Here we go. Crank the Pink Floyd. Let's do this. And it just got, it, it just doesn't work. Mark, how do you feel about the Rise of the Beast trailer? What are your thoughts on it? Um, I I love Anthony Ramos. And so, yeah. like, to center these things around a person we can care about mm-hmm. who doesn't know, because it's always about a collision of worlds, mm-hmm. right? And the longer you go with Sam or whoever Mark Wahlberg played, um, it's not new anymore. Bud Light enthusiast, number one. <laughs> you guys, I think that's a Transformer. Wow. <laughs> Is that a car? Is that a guy? I don't know. Um, we also have Cristo, Fernandez, uh, Danny Rojas. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and Dominique Fishback. Like, I feel like yep. the cast is super strong. I feel like Stephen Cable Jr. has a really good eye and a good sense for story. And it's in the 90s, right? It's like okay. early 90s, I think. And so, like, early 90s New York is my New York. And mm. so there's, there's a bit of just, like, nostalgia for me of, like, oh, this is going to be like a hip-hop movie. This mm. is like, it's going to be deep in that culture. I mean, not the like 70s, 80s were in hip-hop in New York, but I feel like the, the hip-hop that, that I have nostalgia for, sure. the Twin Towers in the trailer, like mm-hmm. I know where we are, I know when we are. And so despite all of the evidence to the contrary, <laughs> I am still curious about this movie. Um, but they've not been great. Yeah, I mean, look, Bumblebee kind of, we came into Bumblebee and didn't have a lot of expectations because we were just so beaten down yeah. by the previous movies that it was a surprise hit in a way. Not not that it was a box office success because all these movies are. But it also came out, didn't it come out during the height of the pandemic? Do I remember it getting pushed? No, Bumblebee, Bumblebee was, was right before. Rise of oh. the Beast might have been affected a little bit, but, okay, but okay. Bumblebee was before... And we had so much hope back then. Yeah. And uh, and and again, it was it was as Mark said, it was a simple story that I even think you know John Cena a, a little too wrestlery in the in the in the the villain role in there a little bit. But you know, again, it's like if you're you can't really blame John Cena because all he has to go on are the previous Transformers movies that he just saw, and it's like, oh, that's how you want me to? I'll be that in this movie. And it didn't really gel as well as I wanted it to, but we still got through with a really good story. So I guess the question I have is, do we as as an audience still have an appetite for these movies? I think that Rise of the Beast is going to be successful, but I don't know that it's ever going to reach the heights of what those first couple Transformers movies were, where they got close or above the billion dollar mark at the box office. Um, I think these are always going to do well. I think they're always going to be blockbusters i just feel like as like massive action films Mm -hmm. um i don't know that's why that's that's just how i feel about the rest of the rest of america just like not just wanting to get out and like go to the theaters and watch this okay well let me ask you all this too because a lot of times like with gi joe like the way we were playing with it when we were kids is you would have these crossover events where like the transformers would team up with, with the Joes for me a lot, and then my sister would steal all of them. But He-Man would come into play. Is there a world, Mark and Danny, where the Transformers could be on a collision course with another property and just turn into one, like, super gigantic thing? Like, remember a few years ago, there were rumors that Men in Black were going to join with the 21 Jump Street franchise, mm-hmm. and you had these kind of meeting of the worlds. I don't hate the idea of Fast and Furious and Transformers oh all becoming God. one giant universe. I mean, tell me like, I'm they're wrong. They're kind of on track, right? For that. I mean, listen, if we're going to ignore like studio affiliations or whatever, right. I would 100% watch Don Tyrese Toretto. is in both. He's in both. He's <laughs> the glue that brings <laughs> them together. True. Yeah. 
Um, if you could do dinosaurs and Transformers <laughs> and Fast and the Furious, you'd make all of the money. Oh the, there, was, there was that scoop going around that it was going to be like Jurassic Park teaming up with the Fast and Furious, but I really oh like Transformers and and Fast and Furious, Danny. Is there is there another property we could marry Transformers with? Transformers, yeah, throw the turtles in there, right? Michael Ooh. Bay has the turtles. I kind of love that even more. Yeah, see? Throw them in there. Wow. Yeah. See, I'd, I'd also add Star Trek. Because, okay. I, I mean, we have an alien race, clearly, mm-hmm. that lives on another planet. Yeah. There's no reason there can't be an interaction between the Enterprise and Cybertron. Wow. First contact. All right, well, it's a lot better than what I had, because I had Fast and Furious, and then also later this summer we get Barbie coming out, so I thought maybe Transformers <laughs> yes! and Barbies could team up. They've already played with my Barbies. <laughs> They're already I friends. know. I, I just hope that there's a G.I. Joe that pops up in the bar in Barbie. I just know that there has to be. Just Channing Tatum. Like, that's his yes. role. It's just like, hey, yo, Joe. Because you just know, you just know every, every all of us had our brothers, G.I. Joes, playing with our Barbies. Mm-hmm. Mine yeah. was actually Batman. I had the George Clooney Batman, uh-huh. and he was, like, rubbery. And, and he was would, hooking up with Barbie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Bruce Wayne. Okay. Yeah. Is he your Bruce Wayne? George Clooney? <laughs> Who who is your 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 Batman? <laughs> if you're listening and not watching, Danny's hiding her face. She's so now he's she's a, okay. This is what I'll say. Stud. Listen to me. Listen, I just got to make this case really quick. He is the ultimate Bruce Wayne. I don't know. I I actually think he's a good Batman, but a lot of people, you know, talk about Christian Bale, whatever best Batman. I do think George Clooney is the most convincing. Bruce Wayne. Like smooth, rich smooth, guy, smooth, charming, likable. Mm-hmm. You trust him. I get trusting him. Because he's a billionaire and he's gotten the city of Gotham to trust him as a billionaire, and I get possibly trusting George Clooney. I, if he were here right now, I would take his hand and go on his magic carpet ride. So uh, you would have a fight for that hand because I would too. Uh, Mark Bernardin, yeah, George Clooney, best Bruce Wayne. <laughs> That's not fair. The place I didn't think he we'd go. He grew up with a different. Anyways, I, I've, I've grown up with lots of Bruce Wayne's. Well, Danny, it's taking your, a chance. Who is your Bruce Wayne? My Bruce Wayne is Michael Keaton. Yeah. You know, great. Be- because I think that similarly, I think he's a great Bruce Wayne. I don't mm-hmm. think he's a great Batman. We'll see what happens in the Flash movie. This Batsuit right. didn't do him any favors. Yeah. I do think, however, that that we are all kind of recontextualizing what it means to be a billionaire in a city like Gotham. Mm-hmm. And should anybody ever trust that person ever yes. at all? <laughs> yes. It's right. like, maybe you're always supposed to be bad. <laughs> maybe yes. you've been the villain Gotham uh-huh. has been looking for all of these years. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, infrastructure... Uh, I don't know, education spending, like just put some money, like don't punch crime in the nuts, like maybe just actually invest in, in Gotham City. Yeah, stop spending all these billions of dollars on toys. Yeah. Like. Who would be your Batman then? Um, I actually think that Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Is a great Batman. Gotcha. I think, I think in that suit, like doing that, like he's the he's the version that I see in my head having read like Dark Knight Returns as a mm-hmm. kid. You know, the one who's the scariest um, was mm. actually Affleck. Well, Damn. putting a bow on this uh, with other yeah. movies coming out later Quickly. this summer. Well, because we have Rise of the Beast, but then a Flash movie comes out. Yeah, I've yeah. seen the Flash movie. Ooh. And uh, that, that that Bruce Wayne, played by Michael Keaton, slash mm. Batman, mm. Guy, still, guy, guy still works out. <laughs> guy wow. still works out. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, before, we, before we do uh, uh, hit the music, uh, I do want to just get y'all's quick take on how things are going out there on the picket line with the, uh, with the writer's strike. Now, we're recording this uh, in the middle of May. So it may be hopefully, uh, you know, things are getting even brighter in a couple of weeks when this comes out in the beginning of June. But how are y'all holding up? Uh, 
I can't feel my legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot of standing, and it's a lot of walking, too, because like walking. you're kind of constantly like on a track. Like I remember, Danny, you were telling me that you got like 10,000 steps in yeah. doing it. Yeah, easy, easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's going well. Spirits are high. I think that the Guild has mobilized in a very smart and effective way. I think they're communicating the wants and needs of the writers in a way that they've never been able to before. Mm-hmm. This is the first social media strike. And so I think people understand why we're doing what we're doing, not just, we don't want you to have your TV shows. Like, oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a long strike, I feel. I think by the time you listen to this in June, we will still be on strike. Okay. Um, because the way strikes work is you have to inflict pain. You, mm-hmm. have, to, you have to make it more expensive to, to let us not go to work than it is for, to, to just make the deal and let us go back to work. And so we're not at total pain yet. <laughs> we haven't hit the threshold yet. But we are we are thanks to lots of other guilds like stepping in line and the Teamsters and right now SAG and the and the DGA are, are kind of on their side and and we've been able to shut down some some locations shut down some shooting which is costing money and eroding the goodwill on the parts of these massive corporations. It goes. Um, we'll see how long it goes. Mm-hmm. Danny, morale pretty high. Yeah, I feel like uh, we're seen as the good guys as we are, and so that's really helpful. I think echoing what Mark said that social media helps a lot of people that don't understand that are not in our industry that think that we're multimillionaires. Um, And so I think just letting them know what we're fighting for and fighting for a livable wage and a sustainable future for all of us. We're also fighting for all of us. Like, I know that sounds like cliche to say out loud, but we're fighting for the executives to not be replaced by AI. We're fighting for actors to not be replaced by AI. We're fighting for directors as well. So, um, yeah, I I think that Spirits are high. I think I'm getting in my 15,000 steps. (laughs) Um, And I'm excited for other unions to join us. Yeah, the the whole use of of, of AI is is such a big thing in this strike. And oddly, I feel like a guy like Optimus Prime would be on the side of the writers. I feel like Optimus Prime would be like, you cannot use AI for these nefarious purposes. Yeah, like there are things that we use AI for, say the Autobots and the Decepticons, but then there's the things you need actual people to do. Yeah. You know, and I think that to Danny's point ai goes far beyond just writers and actors yes. and oh directors. sure yeah i mean for everybody who's ever worked at a supermarket and mm-hmm. now suddenly doesn't have a job mm-hmm. because they have a booth where you can check yourself out for everybody who used to pump gas and now no longer has that job because now you can just do it at the pump like it's it's not quite the cylon takeover yet it's not quite skynet yet but they're coming for everybody's mm-hmm. jobs there's some version of this that's going to infect every and touch every person uh, not just in the country, but in the world in some way or fashion. And having some jurisdiction over that, having some control over that, getting to say, I do this job now and I'd like to use it as a tool, yes. but I want to have, I want to be the one who dictates how we use it. Sure. It should be helping us, not hurting us. Mm-hmm. Technology and AI should be only used to help us, yeah. not replace us. Well said. Well, y'all are out there fighting the good fight, and uh, and and we all got your back, and uh, we appreciate what you do. And, uh, Brian, let's go to the close. Hit the music. 
It is so much fun talking everything Transformers, getting a little update on the writer's strike, and of course, who's your favorite Batman? We really like hit all the bases <laughs> to know. in this episode today. I mean, look, sometimes your mind just gets boggled talking about Transformers movies and you just need a palate cleanser. So that was sort of like our table water cracker before we have some different wine mm-hmm. and a nice little Batman flavor in there. So uh, two great guests uh, on the show today. Mark Bernard, and where can all the kids find you out there in the world? Uh, I'm on the Instagrams at Mark Bernard, Mark with a C, uh, Bernard with two R's. Uh, not so much on the Twitter anymore. I think I started doing Blue Sky, maybe? I don't know. Oh, you made it over there? I made it over there. It's uh, the, the water's nice but shallow. <laughs> <laughs> it needs a little bit more depth. Um, but yeah, you know, still podcasting with Kevin Smith and Fat Man Beyond, and when he can't do it, you know, I do the occasional Black Man Beyond episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say some of the TV shows that I've worked on, but I'm not sure when they're coming out anymore, <laughs> given the world that we live in. But... Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm around, just out here, making my way in the world today. Takes D- everything I got. Uh, I'm gonna ask you for a streaming recommendation in one minute. But first, Dan, I want to get uh, what you have in the oven. I know you have a short film that uh, I'm very excited oh, to yes. uh, see premiere. Thank you for bringing that up. I totally forgot. <laughs> you got a lot of stuff going on. I got a lot. It's... I'm like I have a bun in the oven. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, it is called In the Static. It is premiering at La Leaf, the Latino International Film Festival. But we also have a couple of other films. I mean, a couple of other festivals that we've also gotten into that I'll be able to announce here in like a week or so. That's awesome. Um, yes, but we'd love it. Love it for people to come out, especially if they're in LA. And you can follow me at Ms. Danny Fernandez because I'm posting where. Uh, all of our festival locations are. Mark also has a short that I is do. out. Oh, hey, yes. look at this. I know. Uh, hopefully we will get to do the same festival at some point, and it'll yes. be a party. Yes. Uh, so what what streaming recommendations do we have? Well, what are you all watching? What's captivating you these days? I watched and re-watched. This is not normal for me. I feel like there's so much of our culture is like binge culture where – it's almost quantity over quality where some of the things that are coming out are just like you watch it once and you don't really feel a need to are watch it. Are you describing it. Revenge of the Fallen? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, beef. I know that it's been out now for over a month or maybe two, but it is so good. I love how unhinged it is. I'm like the writers again, writers are amazing. Um, it is on Netflix. It is just so, um, it is so unhinged. That's the only way I can describe it and unpredictable. And I love it. And I actually was like, I need to rewatch this because of how effed up it was. And I love how much they're mm-hmm. able to play in this wild world. Did you so, rewatch it so you could hear O-Town again? <laughs> uh, yes, they had an O-Town, an <laughs> O-Town reference for all the m- millennials. Um, so it is about to, it's about road rage taken to the most extreme um <laughs> the most extreme the most mm-hmm. extreme so that's what i'll say it is a wild uh drama watch it and a lot of burger king chicken sandwiches oh yeah they got sandwich. that they got that burger king money <laughs> i love that pk sandwich uh and your streaming recommendation mr bernard uh i i will take this because danny recommended it to me and it uh, it served me incredibly well the big brunch Yes. On, uh, oh, on yeah. Oh, yeah. Cooking Max. show. The cooking show. It's great. Dan Levy is the host and creator of it. Um, and it. I was looking for something to fill my uh, my Great British Baking Show void. <laughs> um, because, like, I watched Top Chef and I watched Next Level Chef and I watched the Gordon Ramsay stuff and I liked them all. But there was something just so the warm cuddle mm-hmm. of yes. Great British Baking Show. And so the big brunch. Um, it focuses less on the food, which kind of turned me off at first once mm. you have like eight cooks, ten cooks in a kitchen and. I don't know what they're making, but we're trying to find their stories and see what they're on. By the time you get to like the middle of the season, 
it becomes this really compelling just sort of drama about these people all from kind of underrepresented communities who are invited into this kitchen to then cook the most homey, comforting food that they possibly can. And by the end of it, like, Dan's crying, I'm crying, the chefs are crying, <laughs> like, it's all just so wonderful. And uh, and I, like, I, I blazed through it in, like, mm-hmm. a weekend where I was just feeling like I needed a warm hug. Yeah, Danny turned me on to that, too, and I love it because it's a show about brunch, so I get all the brunch food, but I don't have to not watch football on Falls in the Sunday in order to go get it. So Indeed. it actually comes to me anytime, day or night. So that is Mark Bernard, and that is Danny Fernandez. I am merely Mark Ellis. For everybody here at Rotten Tomatoes, thanks for tuning in. You can get more info on movies, TV, everything in between at RottenTomatoes.com. And my stand-up special is going to be out in July streaming everywhere so more details to that as they emerge for the whole crew here thanks for tuning in you can email us at rt is wrong at rottentomatoes.com subscribe rate review all that good stuff next week we got a new after dark episode coming out maybe with some familiar guests so we'll see what our talking points are next week until then we'll see you at rotten tomatoes is wrong 